Ephesians chapter 6, we're going to read verses 10 to 13 this morning as we pick back up our Walk as Children of Light series. We are actually nearing the end of the book of Ephesians. I'm assuming you're seeing the light at the end of that tunnel. Walk as Children of Light is what I've entitled the entire message. Today, I've, uh, uh, the entire series, sorry. Today, I've entitled the message, Stand Firm. We're coming to the last portion of the text, and we're going to continue just kind of walking through. We're going to, I'm going to put on the brakes a little bit over the next couple of weeks and just take our time to walk through these uh, powerful next section together. Again, if, you are, if you're from the church here, you know this, but if you're not from the church and uh, you may be interested in knowing on the backside of your bulletin, if you got one today, there's a little bit of a handout. All it is is really just all the scriptures we're going to uh, deal with this morning, um, Lord willing anyway, at least the ones that I was thinking of ahead of time. Read with me, if you would, Ephesians chapter 6. We're going to read verses 10 through 13 as we set up this discussion on the armor of God. This is what Paul wrote. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. May the Lord give us understanding as we break open his word. We are to stand firm. Paul is now, excuse me, moving into concluding remarks of this whole letter that has started off with this, this, uh, this undergirding of theology. This is going way back, but this undergirding of theology, the first couple of chapters of Ephesians. All this stuff about what we should believe, about who God is, about what Jesus has done, about who we are, who, about who we are all together, all those things. And then he moved in this, into this place where he said, now that you have these things in your head about what you should believe, then this is what you should look like, what you should act like, or what you should do with that, because it has to mean something. And if you recall the phrase I used multiple times through this series, is that all of, or so much of what is happening is that the bar is being raised, right? Like, it's really, it, it, it's no small thing to say, I'm going to follow Jesus. It's not a light task. It's why Jesus would look at people when they said, hey, I'm going to follow you. He said, are you sure about that? You should count the cost. If you think you have to go back and say goodbye to somebody, or you think you have to wait a little while, or you think you're not sure about this yet, you you know that the followers of Jesus, they don't have a place to lay their head, right? Jesus, your mother and your brother. Well, who are my mothers and my my mother and my brothers? He He only had one mother. That was my mistake, not the Bible's. It's tough, right? So we raised the bar, and we we kept saying this is difficult, and now in his concluding section, Paul, I think, is going to try to kind of tie all that together to say, I want you to see there's a battle that's happening for you to stay in the light. So all of, everything we've been talking about is, is getting you into the light, to walk as a child of light, but there's a battle to keep you there. There's, there's a struggle that you're going to engage in and you're going to have to engage in to stay in the light. For there's this, this imperceptible, this, this ongoing pull to get you back out of that place, to not walk. I, you all know about this. I know about this. I experience it every day and week in my life as I'm interacting with my family. I get impatient. I get frustrated with something. I want to lose my temper. I want to I snap at this or I don't like how this worked out or I don't like how th- what this had to do or, or I made a mistake and I get frustrated with all this stuff that wants to pull me out of the light and back into the darkness and back into uh, the way that he says we used to be, walking as the Gentiles, futile in our minds, darkening in our understanding. Finally, he says, 
We'll just start with this verse here. Finally, he says, you should be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. And right from the get-go, believe it or not, I actually didn't plan it this way. I wish I could claim the credit for that, but I'm, I'm not that smart. I did not plan it this way, but two weeks ago, we had a, we had a break last week because we had a visiting speaker here, but two weeks ago, I preached a message called, The Battle Belongs to the Lord, because I, I wanted to stop one time before we go back to Ephesians, because I want to put all this together, and I'm going to be here over the next couple of weeks now. But this verse, from the beginning, it says, there's a fight you're engaged in, and let me tell you right up front that the fight... This fight that's going to happen, this struggle that you're in, you're to be strong in it, but it's actually not you. You're to be strong in the Lord. You're to fight in the strength of His might. It's a lot like what I said a couple of weeks ago. Not planning it that way, but I love the way that God puts these things together. It's a lot like saying, you have to fight, but listen, the fight's not yours. The battle belongs to the Lord. He's the one who's going to do... Now, let me just ask you this. You know this already, but maybe I said it a couple weeks ago. Let me ask you this. Who put you in the light? How did you end up in the light? What made it possible for you to be in the light to start with? Was it you or was it Jesus? That was not very loud, church. It was Jesus. So what's going to keep you there? You or Jesus? It's going to be Jesus, right? The same person or the same God that brought you into the light is the God that's going to keep you there. Is it amazing how much sense that makes and how much we all go, yep, I know that, and how much we don't do that in our life? Well, Jesus got me in there, but now it's up to me to stay there. Now it's up to me to, to, to buckle down and do what I need to do to stay true to Jesus. Finally, he says, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. This is not a new subject he's touching on. I would remind you, go all the way back to the first chapter of Ephesians, and Paul says, I'm praying for you. When I think of you, I pray for you. And one of the things I'm praying for you is that you would know what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead. Do you know one of the primary reasons the church, we, the church ought to always sing and talk about and, and, and be forthcoming about the resurrection of Jesus Christ is because it's the power that God worked in bringing him back from the dead that helps us to see that's the power available to you and I to walk as Christians, to be faithful to him, to stay in the light. Paul said, I'm praying that for you. What would it look like if we as a church would begin to pray for each other this kind of prayer? God, would you help them to know how immeasurably great your power is? The same power that brought Jesus out of that grave is available to you and to you and to them with whatever they're walking through right now. Whatever difficulty they have. Now that's not, again, that's the, that went back to the beginning, but Paul, this is the theme Paul's been talking about. In chapter three, again, he's talking about praying. And he says, I'm praying that you would be, that you would, that God would grant you to be strengthened with power through your, his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. This theme of being strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might, he didn't wait to introduce it till Ephesians chapter six, verse 10. He's been introducing it. He's been sprinkling it throughout all of his teaching. Here's what you should believe about God. One of the things you should believe is that his power is immeasurable. You can't, you, you can't contain it. Nothing can stop it. And there's a reason I'm telling you that. Because when I get to the end and I've told you all the things that you should do as a child of light, all the ways that you should love your wife, husbands, and all the ways you should submit yourself to your husband, wives, and all the way that you should obey your parents, children, and all the ways that your bondservants should be obedient to your masters, 
all those things that are hard to do as you walk out in real life, I would remind you, I've been telling you about how great God's power is, how immeasurable it is, how it can't be stopped, how when Christ dwells inside of you, that that changes, that that somehow gives you an ability to do things that you can't do by yourself. And it's for this that I ask now, that you should be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. It's His power. It's what He's going to do. So what's going to follow over the next couple of Sundays, next, next number of Sundays, is a, a, a more detailed listing of what that looks like, how to be strong in the Lord and the strength of His might so that we can be faithful and we can stay in the light. We can remain walking as children of light. But today we're just going to introduce it. We don't have time to even get close to that. We probably don't even have time to break into everything we could break into in these three verses. But I want to at least outline a few things from this text about what I would call maybe a battle plan for successful um, successful fighting, contending with the enemy and to walk as children of light. It's not, it's not full in depth. It's not in detail. There's plenty of things we could find from other places in Scripture, but it's what Paul wrote, so I'm going to stick true to the text. I think the first thing we can draw from his text here is that uh, he says we should put on the whole armor of God. If we want to be successful in our fight, uh, if we want to be successful in our endeavor to stay true to God and to, to continue to walk as a child of light, we are to put on the whole armor of God. Now, I want you to understand, when you read this, I want you to understand or think about the things that are implied in that, right? When you say that, when he says you should put on the whole armor of God, that's implying that God has an armor that's effective, right? That's implying that God has an armor that's effective, that God has something he can give to you that works. It would be kind of, Dumb, excuse my sort of just plain language, it'd be kind of dumb to say, hey, let me offer you this great protection plan against the enemy that doesn't work, right? You would never do that. So the, it's implied that the armor that God has to offer us is effective. It's also implied that it becomes effective when it's the whole armor, right? It becomes effective when it's complete, he doesn't say, put on a few pieces of the armor of God and you'll be good to go. He says, put on the whole armor of God, every piece and part that we're going to get to yet. Put on all of it. By the way, I, I've made statements like this before, and I, I, you've probably heard me say this, certainly in personal conversation. I'm sure you have if, you, if we've had them like this. But I, it's my opinion from my own life's observation and like my own, what's happening in me and in walking with other people as a pastor is that we tend to have this idea that if I have, I'm just going to make this number up, but if I have 85% armor on, then I'm good to go. I don't need to worry about the, the, the 15%. Actually, I think we often even like if I have 99% of it on, I'm good to go. And it's amazing how often we see things happen in our lives. And it's, 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 the, it's the one little chink we have that we think we're fine because I got everything else all taken care of. I don't need to worry about that. Don't point that one out. Don't worry about that. That's not a big deal. It's the one little chink we have that somehow begins to, it's, I don't know how to describe it. It's, I, I'm a visual like picture kind of guy in my head. So I, this, probably, this is not like biblical. So this is, this is me talking. But it's kind of like, like there's this one spot that the world, that Satan, that the enemy, that, that myself can still get into and exploit that weakness and it's amazing how many times in my own life I've seen this, and I've seen it in other people, where you do this incredible drift away from the Lord, and you end up thinking, I don't know, how did that happen? And it, 
was because of one little thing that you were not willing to deal with or to cover up with the armor of God or to take care of. Because it was just a little thing. I mean, everything else in my life is good. My devotional is going good. I'm, I'm, I'm being used in the church. I'm, all kinds of stuff is going well. I've got, in the tech context of today's message, I've got 95% of the armor on. So we should be good to go, right? But I think implied in this is that the armor is effective when it's the whole armor of God. I think we'll see that as we go through. If I can just jump ahead. You can have the breastplate of righteousness on, but if you forgot the belt of truth, you're missing something, right? You can have the belt of truth, but if you got the helmet of salvation, you're missing something. We'll talk about each of these pieces as we go along. Let me make one more comment, by the way, before I just continue here. I also think it's, it's a great place for us this morning to stop again and do something which I did, I think, more of the beginning of this tech, of, of the series than I have recently, so I just want to say it again. We, you, you hear me say stuff like this all the time, so it's probably not a surprise to you, but we tend to read the New Testament letters specifically, but much of the Bible, we tend to read it very individualistic, very, very, like, individual lens on, right? So we read Ephesians, for example, and we hear this kind of stuff, and we think it's talking to us as an individual. And clearly, God's word is addressed to us as individuals, no question about that. But who was Paul writing to? He was writing to a church, right? To a group of believers in Ephesus. They're made up of individuals, but to a group of believers. I made this point when you go back, and I think it's in chapter 3 somewhere, maybe it's 2, uh, I don't know, uh, but where he makes the point that, that the church is being built up together into a dwelling place for the Holy Spirit. And he's talking about the church is being built up. Now, we, I, and I'm not going to contend with the point that God's Holy Spirit dwells in us individually, but Paul's thrust in those words, those verses, are is for us to see that we together are a dwelling place for the Holy Spirit. Us, the, 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 the body, the, the, the gathered body of Jesus it's why Paul camps out so much on what the body looks like. And you have to have the eye and the knee and the hand. You have to have all, because it's the whole body. You can't be missing any parts. So I think it's another great place for us to just stop for a moment before we get too down the individual rabbit hole and say, well, I got I to put on all this armor stuff we're going to talk about over the next couple of weeks about all the stuff that I need to do, which you should. We should apply individually, no question. But I think it would be worth our time to talk about how does this text get applied to the church. What does it look like for a church to put on the whole armor of God? I could make the case to you, I think, that it would actually fit really nicely with the discussion about the spiritual gifts in the church. Which would imply that it's not any one of us that has all the armor. Right? Because not all of us have all the spiritual gifts. Any of us have all the spiritual gifts. I have one. You have a different, another one. You have one. You have one. Together we provide different pieces Together, we are to be the whole armor of God. And I could also, well, we'll get to this verse a little bit later, but I, since it's in my head, I'm going to say it. I could also point to the fact that Paul already has been talking about this in chapter 4, where he says that together we are supposed to, uh, he gave, this, you know, Saint, uh, the, the, he gave the uh, evangelists, prophets, uh, apostles, I'm getting that all mixed up, so they could equip the saints for the work of ministry so that we, would, we together would no longer be tossed to and fro by every wind and wave of doctrine, the cunning, deceitful schemes of all those things, right? That's this discussion, actually. It's the same discussion. He just has put it in a different context now. Maybe it would be worth us as families. We have a lot of families here at this church, which I love. Maybe it would be worth it for us as families to talk about what does it look like for us as a family to put on the whole armor of God. 
that that's the place of protection that we're talking about. Doesn't it make sense? Doesn't it make sense that when one of us is being pulled away and one of us is suffering and one of us is, is walking the wrong path, that it's actually going to be the others of us that are going to pull them back in and cover them? It's not going to be them, right? Because they're, 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 the, they're, 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 they're walking the wrong direction. It's got to be up to us, the rest of us, to pray and to put on the armor of God. Again, one of my favorite pictures from doing history with the kids is the picture of the, the Greek and Spartan warriors. And when, when, I think I shared this in church one morning, so I'm going to take time. But, but when one of them was fallen and they got, brought the great shield and, and he would, I mean, one of them would stand there and protect this body right here from the onslaught until they could get him back away from the, from the, from the front line. That's putting on the armor of God. And that was not the one laying here wounded. That was the one that was the others that came around them and put the shield in front of them to protect them until they could be taken back to triage. I think far and away as Americans, and you hear me say stuff like this all the time, just bear with me one more time. Far and away as Americans, we individualize the gospel and what Jesus does in us and our faithfulness to Jesus, we individualize it far too much. We are far too free and willing to think that we can be what, we, what I would call Lone Ranger Christians. I don't think that exists, actually. I don't think a true Christian can see himself as a Christian apart from the body. That's my statement. You know, the other time, the only other time in all of the New Testament that this uh, phrase, the whole armor panoply is used, is in one of the stories Jesus says which happens to fit in with today because in Luke 11, Jesus says, when a strong man is fully armed, guards his own palace, his goods are safe. But when one stronger than he attacks him and overcomes him, he takes away his armor. That's the full armor, the panoply. He takes away his armor in which he trusted and divides his spoil. Now, Jesus is talking about spiritual warfare in that, in that uh, discussion, that, that setting in Luke chapter 11, which fits because we're talking about putting on the armor of God as we defend against the attacks of Satan. We're gonna get to some of this stuff yet. But this verses, I put them up here because they made me ask a question when I ran across them at my desk this week. I love how Jesus puts this phrase. When a man stronger, when someone stronger comes and takes away his armor in which he trusted, he's going to divide his spoil. And it made me immediately ask the question, what armor am I trusting in? What armor are we trusting in? Is it your and my position that we are going to stand against Satan? ourselves is that the case we want to make whatever Satan has to bring I'm gonna I'm, I got it is that your position I don't see a whole lot of response I see a few people shaking their heads if that's the armor you're gonna trust in what you can do to ward off Satan what you can do to make sure you stay faithful when you're a strong man if you see yourself as a strong man you're fully armed you can guard your own palace but when the day comes, and I can tell you the day is going to come when one stronger than you is going to attack you and take away that armor that you trusted in. So let's make sure we're looking for some armor that is stronger. Well, let's keep going. That's step number one was to put on the whole armor of God to finish that verse out. It says that we may be able, we do that so that we may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. There's a whole bunch of stuff in this verse. I want to point out that word stand, first of all, because uh, stand is the operative word. It gives us the objective Right? If we're going to go into battle, we have to know the objective. The objective is to stand. In fact, the word is there three times, a reform of it. Hopefully you can read that. In the verse I just put up there, it's the word histemi pros. That's the Greek. It means to stand against. Go down to verse 13. You're going to see the word antistemi, which is withstand. And finally, the very end, the last verse I read this morning, 
Despite the ESV saying stand firm, it really is just says stand by itself. It just says histami. That is the objective. Listen, listen, I know there's places you can go in Scripture that are going to talk about how to be offensive against the, uh, the kingdom of the world or the kingdom of Satan. It's called evangelism. We should do it. It's something we should be engaged in all the time. It's part of who we are. But I want to tell you in these verses, the, the text we're about to treat over the next couple of weeks, this is primarily, Paul's thrust primarily is about defense. It's primarily about withstanding or standing against the work of Satan. It's not going into his camp and taking territory away, which you can talk about that. Again, I'm not saying there's not places you can find evidence of that. It's just not what this text is about. Again, I remind us, Paul has said, here's all the things about who God is, what he's done through Jesus, who you are, who we are together, and what it means for us to walk as children of light in our homes, which is why I think it's effective to talk about putting on the whole armor of God in our homes because he spent so much time talking about our families. But he's saying, I, I got you to understand what you're supposed to be doing. There's going to be an, an incredible pressure and force against you all the time to pull you out of that. And that's why I'm, I'm telling you, you should put on the full armor of God. You should, you should be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might because you are to stand against that. You're to withstand that. You're to fight against that. This is the verse I referred to earlier. He's already been talking about standing. He said we're standing against the schemes of the devil. The objective is to stand. The enemy is the devil. To stand against the schemes, the methods. We are to know the methods of the devil so we can stand against them. He used that word methods in the verse I referred to earlier. That we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and in deceit, or by craftiness in deceitful schemes, deceitful methods. That is Satan's method, isn't it? We are to know the method of the, of the devil, and his method is what? It's to deceive. He is the father of lies, Jesus called him. He doesn't do anything but lie. That's all he can do. That's how he comes to us, disguised as an angel of light, but deceptive. Actually, the word devil, actually, that's what it means. It, uh, it's kind of a, a word we don't use today anymore. It means to traduce. Or say, the word is traduce, but, but it, it literally means to throw through. He, 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 he throws accusations at us. Or he, throws, he, he slings mud, if you want to use a modern phrase, at us. That's what, the devil, that's what the word devil actually literally means. He accuses us. That's why he's called the accuser. He accuses us. Guess what? From what we did in our opening time here this morning, guess what? If Jesus' blood was effective at all, then every accusation he has to bring against us is false, right? I mean, we may not have received that. I should be careful I say that. But every accusation, any accusation he would make against us that we are not saved or can't be saved or are not right or can't be made right is false because Jesus' blood has been victorious. That's why he's the accuser. That's why he's, that's why he's lying. That's why he's deceitful. We are to stand against the schemes of the devil, the methods of the devil. He blinds us. This is exactly what he does. This is what Paul said in 2 Corinthians 4.4. 4. In people's cases who do not know Jesus, in their cases, the God of this world, that's Satan, has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. If you happen to think in word pictures like I do, then I want you to see another little word that's tucked away there. I didn't put it back on the screen, but I put up there that we are supposed to stand against. It's a little four-letter word, pros, P-R-O-S. And it shows up here six times, actually. I don't know if you caught that, but it's the word against in verse 11. He's gonna say it five times in verse 12. Against, 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 against. The reason I'm pointing out to you is because what that word literally means is it means in the face of. In the face of or in front of. Listen, 
This may not be the most encouraging thing you've heard today. It may not be the warm fuzzies you'd like to feel when you come to church. But I want you to know that the fight we're talking about is not an impersonal, long-range, I'm launching Scud missiles at somebody kind of fight. It is an up-close, in-the-face-of, hand-to-hand combat. That's what he, the word he uses here, and I don't think he uses it by accident. We're not going to sit back here and be like, well, I'm going to build my fortress in the wall way out there, and I'm just going to lob these little things at Satan to keep him away from me. You know why that doesn't work? Where does temptation come from? Out there? Where does temptation come from? Why does temptation work? Why can Satan tempt us? We, who somebody said it over here, we are drawn away. We gotta, we gotta know this, church. You gotta know this. You gotta be able to say it. We are drawn away by our own evil desires. This is why it's a face-to-face combat thing. It's because it's here. It's, it's us inside the enemy. There's our own flesh that Satan is coming to deceive. The picture I'm seeing in these verses and I want us to see is that we are talking about a hand-to-hand wrestling match. And the goal is to stand. And the goal, finally, if you follow it all the way through, that last word is when that match is done, you get to stand because you know who gets to stand at the end, right? It's the victor that gets to stand at the end. I'm telling you, being a follower of Jesus is not for sissies. It's not. It's hard. It's, again, I said it earlier, it's why Jesus looked at people and said, are you sure you can do this? It's why even the Old Testament patriarchs did that. Are you sure you guys can do this? It feels backwards to everything we do by modern convention to try to tell people how difficult it's going to be. But I don't feel like it's fair to us. I don't feel like it's truthful to us. I don't feel like it's what we need to hear if we think that it's going to be some kind of, like, I gave my life to Jesus, I'm walking in the light, and now I get to sip tea and eat my crumpets for the rest of time until Jesus comes back. I don't even know what crumpets are. Sound British, so I'm guessing it's something like that. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood. Now, this is hard, right? Because we all, we've read this verse. It's not the first time you've heard this verse, right? Not the first time you've heard that said. The problem is all of our opposition and all of the pressure that comes against us and all the things that seem to fight against us seem, come in human form, don't they? they, they typically, they come, in, they come in clad in some kind of body like this. Right? So it's very easy for us to think that the enemy is bodies like this. That's why Paul reminds us that not only do you need to know that you need to put on the whole armor of God to be effective, and you need to know that uh, uh, your goal is, your objective is to stand, and you're standing against the enemy and his deceitful schemes, but that you're not wrestling against people. You're not wrestling against flesh and blood. But, I, you know, this isn't even so much a who it is against or who it is not against. It's a, it's a location as much as anything. Because the contrast he sets up in verse 12, he says, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. He ends that by saying, we're wrestling in the heavenly places. The flesh and blood is a reference to here. Here, earth, location. He contrasts that with we are wrestling in the heavenly places. That, that, that's, that's where the battle is taking place. I, I, again, this is a theme that's well represented in scripture, right? Flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God right? So this is not a battle for flesh and blood. 
We're not fighting to protect our flesh and blood. Hold on, did you hear what I just said? We're not fighting to protect our flesh and blood. We're fighting to protect our souls. Flesh and blood will not enter the kingdom of heaven. When, when Jesus turned to Matthew after he made that powerful proclamation that who do you, who do you say I am? He says, you are the, the Christ, the Son of the living God. Guess what Jesus said? He said, flesh and blood did not reveal that to you, Peter. That's why the battle isn't against flesh and blood. It's for our souls. By the way, it's also a location thing. You know what Paul wrote to the Colossians? He said, when we have died, our life is hidden with Christ and God. Well, where's Christ at? <laughs> Not here, right? <laughs> He's there, waiting until God dispatches him and says, it's time to bring the bride home. Our battle is against flesh and blood. Or, sorry, it's not against flesh and blood. It's against, and he names it of every which way he can, right? It's against uh, uh, rulers. It's against authorities. It's against cosmic powers of this present darkness. against spiritual forces of evil. Now, those spiritual forces of evil are not in the heavenly places. Again, that's a reference to where the battle is taking place. I didn't put the references down. I could go back and for earlier in Ephesians where, just to remind you, that he's already made it clear theologically, in the theological section, he's already made it clear that Jesus has been elevated above every other power and dominion. So all the things we're talking about here, here's, here's the thing, guys. We already know, according to Scripture, if we have the right armor, we already know who's going to win. The question is, are we going to walk in the right armor? That's really the question. All the next couple of weeks is not about, like, discussing which one's going to win, putting them to, fight, to a fight and having a little thumb wrestling where and see who's... No, no, the battle's done. The question is, are we going to put on the right armor? Are we going to put on the full armor? Are we going to walk in that? Because Jesus is already above all these rulers and authorities and spiritual force. He's already been elevated above them. He's there at the Father's hand, as Scripture says, until all of his enemies had been made his footstool. Final enemy, which is to be death. Let me wrap this up by coming back to the last verse, which is kind of a restatement for us. He says, he's the injunction as he's about to launch into the individual uh, pieces of armor, which we're going to get to in the coming weeks. But as he's about to launch into that, he, he sort of ties it back. He's summarizing what he's just said and ties it back up, up again, ready to, ready to go forward. He says, therefore, you should put on or take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm or just to stand is really what it actually says. I want to close this morning. That's just a recap for you. We're going to look ahead to, towards all these little pieces. I want to close this morning by reminding you that um, I think there's an even bigger picture unfolding here than what I've even just painted for you this morning. Because I've kind of painted you in this, you know, if you're thinking this is my fault because I've kind of drug you or put you in this place, but I've kind of painted this picture that this is about this battle that we're engaged in individually as families as churches, the battle that we're engaged in, and that we want to stand victorious over Satan. But there's actually another part of standing in Scripture, uh, if you get my word, another, another part of being able to stand that's far more important, actually. It's actually the ultimate importance. The very last book in the Old Testament points us out. The very last book in the New Testament points us out. So I want to read them for you this morning. If you look in Malachi chapter 3, Malachi chapter 3, verse 2, here's what he says. But who can endure the day of his coming? Now, who is that? The day of whose coming? What is that referring to? What's that referring to? The day of his coming. Who are we talking about? Who's coming back? 
Jesus, the day of his coming. But who can endure the day of his coming? And who can stand when he appears? Did you catch that? Who can stand when Jesus shows up again? Who's going to be able to stand? You see, that's a much more important question, isn't it? Not whether we're going to stand victorious over Satan, but whether we're going to be able to stand when Jesus comes. I could have read the rest of that verse. I'm going to just jump over to Revelation because he actually asked a very similar question or a very similar statement is made in Revelation chapter 6, verse 17. Try to flip there quickly. Revelation verse, chapter 6 talks about some of, the, some of the judgment being poured out and the people on earth. Now get this. This is the people on earth. The unsaved people on earth that are calling out. And verse 16 says, Fall on us and hide us from the face of him who is seated on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. Get the picture? Things are, things are not going well for them. There's, the judgment starting to pour out. These are the seven seals. They're starting to be poured out. And they said they want the mountains to fall and the rocks to fall on them because they want to be hidden from the face of him who's seated on the throne, that's God, and from the wrath of the Lamb. And then look what it says in verse 17. For the great day of their wrath has come, and who can stand? You see, there's a much more important part of standing that we're talking about than just gaining victory over Satan. We're not in this to have some kind of pump-up moment like, yeah, I defeated Satan. No, I'm saying I need to be able to stand when Jesus comes, and I have no chance at that unless I put on the whole armor of God. I have no chance at that unless I'm hidden in Christ. I have no other chance. You and I will not be standing on that day unless we're in Christ. Jesus actually said the same things in the uh, Gospel of Luke. Chapter 21, as he's recounting some things that will happen at the end, he says this. These are Jesus' words. For it will come, sorry, I've jumped up a verse. But stay awake at all times, praying that you may have strength to escape all these things that are going to take place and to stand before the Son of Man. If there's one objective or goal that I think every one of us should have, every church of Jesus Christ should have, is that we, and this is something I think the Lord is doing, working in us, just out of this whole discipleship thing. Um, it seems kind of weird that I've been a pastor for, I've been a senior pastor for 12 years or something like that, and I'm just saying things like this. this I mean, this is not to my credit, by the way. But it seems like one of the main objectives that we should be undertaking as a church of Jesus Christ is that we should be fully, fully vested and committed into praying with all that we have that we may be able to stand when Jesus comes. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for your word this morning. We are grateful that your name is a strong tower that we can run to and be saved. We are grateful that you are a rock, a rock of salvation, a firm foundation for us that we can stand upon. We are grateful that we have admonitions and exhortations in scripture that invite us to put you on Jesus just like we would a coat to put on the Lord Jesus Christ and not think about how to satisfy the desires of our sinful nature for we want to be clothed with you Jesus we want to be found in you we want our lives to be hidden in you we want to have the whole armor of God on us individually but as families and as churches for we do hear the cry of Paul that we can stand against the schemes of the devil. But more than importantly, we want to be able to stand when you come, Jesus. When you come to take your bride home, we want to be able to stand and welcome you and say, Amen. Even so, come, Lord Jesus. Come. We're longing for you. 
We've been waiting for you. I'm just going to ask God, and it'll be the prayer for the next little while anyway, but I'm just going to ask God that you would, you would help as a special favor just to us. I know we don't deserve it, but out of your mercy, you would help us as a church body over the next several weeks as we look at each piece of the armor and kind of walk through that, that you would just help us gain understanding of how to apply that to us as a church, to us as families, to us as individuals, that we may be found faithful, that we can stand in the great day. That the accusations of the enemy may absolutely be false because we are right with you. All this is for you. All this is because of you. All this is through you. All this is in you, Jesus. So we pray in your great name. Amen.